No, not only did they not have a plan, they didn't know where the hell they were going. And they didn't know if they were ever going to get there. In fact, they didn't know where they had to go to get to what they had to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season three of Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm, of course, Phil Better, and this season is presented to you by Unicorn Incubator. Unicorn is the largest rural incubator accelerator of its kind in the world. Located in southwestern France, Sola, its mission is to give entrepreneurs and their families their lives back while helping them build game-changing technology startups. Startups in the company are provided with a complete ecosystem for success, with direct access to proven funding sources, top-notch legal and accounting representation, access to the world's most generous business incentives, and most importantly, a dedicated sales and marketing accelerator that will put a startup's product or service on the fast track to success. Welcome to the first episode of season three, ladies and gentlemen. I am, of course, your host with the most feel better, and I am so happy that uh, we found a sponsor. It is, of course, Dom Einhorn, uh, season two's final guest. Uh, he was generous enough to provide us with sponsorship as well as a contest that you will hear more about later. Um, this episode is an interview with Richard Walsh, a investment advisor with Raymond James. A little caveat, a little disclaimer, if we will. Uh, the opinions expressed in this episode are those solely of Richard Walsh and do not represent those of Raymond James. Now, Richard is a veteran of over 30 years in the investment industry. He has a Bachelor of Science from Concordia. He's licensed to provide security investment advice as well as licensed to trade options. He also has his license of insurance of persons and his license to sell insurance that allows him to maximize tax and estate management issues for his clients. This episode does have a little uh, audio issues due to the connection that uh, Richard and I did have during our interview, but it is a great episode. We learn about how Richard went from being a orphan to where he is now and how he has grown his business and found his true light, his North Star, if you will. And I am so excited to share this interview with you. So let's get into it. All right. So Richard... I'm just going to ask you to give us a bit, about 30 seconds, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into your story of uh, how you got to where you are and uh, stuff, how you help uh, your clients. A little bit about myself. Well, I don't know. Uh, I, um, I'm a father and a husband. Um, I love helping people. Uh, I do martial arts, as you can probably see from behind me on the wall. I have a mukjong there. I do what's called Wenjong Kung Fu. I represented Canada in the 2018 Worlds competition three golds and one silver i have to say that just because oh hey uh, <laughs> shine you know, your chest that's an amazing accomplishment yeah, um it's one of my biggest passions my other biggest passion why as i always say to my people you have your god you have your health you have your your uh, family and then you have your wealth and for me i would say that my and then i would say my business but i would say that uh you know my kung fu is, is right up there it's a very personal passion thing for me that's great. It's always good when you're a, an entrepreneur to have those other passions, not just focus on your business. Because if you do focus on your business 100%, you won't won't succeed, I find. And martial arts is a great training to get your mind into the yeah. proper zone. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. No, sorry. Sorry. I was going to cut you off. Go ahead, sir. No, I was just going to say, and that's a, uh, that is often a uh, problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have is the balance of time. And I just felt focused on the business that the family that pays for. And even myself over my years, my family has paid for it, you know, because I'm pretty driven. Mm -hmm. and God forbid my daughter's just like me. Oh, I'm not allowed to talk about here. 
<laughs> I've my instructions not to mention anyone, my wife or my daughter. Good luck with that. I'm very proud of don't worry if we can I'll, if i have to i'll edit it out for uh <laughs> safety that's the joy of podcasting um so when did you get started in your drive to help people in your uh in investing uh well not strictly investing you do a holistic approach to their finances correct yeah it's funny um like i grew up in an orphanage oh. and or a baby home till the age of seven and then Little Ricky goes out to school, isn't coming home at the end of the day because little, you know, Dennis the Menace is out playing in the neighborhood. So they shipped me up to Toronto where I ended up uh, uh, being with my my uh, maternal father's eldest brother, Uncle Bill. He had four kids. He thought he'd seen everything until I came upon the scene. And I remember walking into the house and the first time looking in the basement and all I saw were wall-to-wall toys. I mean, my God, it was like a treasure chest. Long story short, uh, I was so wild. Well, wild. I wasn't a bad kid. It's just that I was very curious. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this for a reason in a minute. And, um, you know, so one day I found back in those days, you had these metal rods about a foot or something long would be attached to the car, would rub against the curb. And I remember going by a puddle, I see these things shining. So I picked up one and I had a friend with me at the time, picked one. We had a sword fight and I lost. And I got poked in my right eye, I nearly lost my eye. Well, that was it. They couldn't keep me anymore. That's when I ended up coming back to Montreal to live with my other aunt, uh, Ruth, who I call my mom. I was there from seven on. And the first words out of her mouth coming in the door, it was a neutral mall, Bernard Street. She said, Ricky, if you ever steal, if you're ever dishonest, if you ever lie, you're out. And I never forgot that. And so the way I was sort of brought up, my mother, my, my call my mom, she was born in 1910. So I was brought up with very old values. And when all the kids were out smoking weed and whatever, I was wearing a tie to high school and seeing I could wear a tie every day because I have my two cousins or I call them my brothers are 20 years older than me, right? So I was very retro as far as that goes. But I didn't realize for many, till many years later, what great lessons that she had taught me, uh, particularly about helping people. Anyway, zoom forward. I'm in university. I'm I've been hired by Johnson & Johnson for a new orthopedic uh, implant uh, device that they developed. I, I graduated medical chemistry from a college with a major biology. So, uh, so for me, it was a natural shoe. And, and at the time I had, I had a girlfriend who, whose father owned a boutique brokerage firm. He gave me the book, the, uh, the securities book. And I remember looking at that book and I couldn't put it down. It was just unbelievable. It's probably one of the fewest books I've ever seen in my life where I just, was drawn to it like a super electronic magnet. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually turned down the job, Johnson Johnson, spent an extra year, which my dad was delighted in the university, um, to take uh, economics and commerce and marketing. <laughs> and um, graduated from there. Well, the understanding was that once I passed my security course, then I would uh, go somewhere else, just in case we broke up, which we ended up doing. So I ended up getting hired by a company called Wood Gundy. This is before they merged with the banks. Yeah. So I was at Wood Gundy. And then I left Wood Gundy. A lot of the, and again, not Wood Gundy or any institution in particular, but they're very sales, sales, raw, raw. And mm-hmm. something inside of me was missing. And it took me quite a few years. I went from Wood Gundy to a company called Dean Witter, which merged with Midland. And then I went back uh, with my best friend over to TD. We started a franchise called TD Evergreen here in, uh, in uh, Quebec. Back at the time, the banks were buying out the brokerage because the government opened up the pillars so they could buy insurance, get involved in insurance, and get you know get in with the uh, excuse me with the uh, the uh, the investment community. 
But TD was always different. So what they did was they said, okay, we're going to set up a franchise where advisors will come in on every 70, every dollar, we get to keep 70 cents. And then we pay them 30 cents to run the back office, hold the securities, do all the compliance. Do all the real work. (laughs) Yeah. And I did that for 2000 and, uh, sorry, 1993 to 2005. So what happened over that period was I was basically running a business under the bank. But I was an employee of the bank. And I'm a bit of a lone wolf. Mm -hmm. And I've been told by my seafood, I'm very stubborn. Uh, I can't argue with him. Uh, Sifu's my, my, my master. In yeah. And I don't listen to my wife when she says that. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'm at the place, but I'm trying to do things and they won't let me do it. And then all of a sudden, I had an opportunity. I met somebody and he talked about this course called Dan Sullivan, the Strategic Coach. Now, you really should get a chance, or any entrepreneurs, I really recommend they get a chance to go check out the website. Because what Dan Sullivan is, an out-of-the-box thinker, I'd already become an entrepreneur. See, most advisors at investment firms are basically salesmen. They sell the products of the firm, mm-hmm. do mutual funds, whatever. Whereas uh, I had been running a business. So for me to go on a commission again, I wasn't interested uh, type of thing. And so I started this course. Uh, God, I was in there for eight years, probably spent a quarter million dollars over eight years, four times a year, either in Toronto or Chicago three days, two or three days, with a, you know, sitting in a room with a group of highly entrepreneurial overachievers who are sincerely interested and happy for your success. So that's a very rare thing. Yeah. And so I completed all that. Uh, and then comes 2008. I was very concerned with the market. So I ended up pulling everybody out of the markets. Uh, but at the same time, I was trying to then put this branded process, which is what you see on the, on the internet now, uh, into play. Uh, and they wouldn't let me do it. And uh, for me, it was a value proposition idea. And I remember one day coming on the train back from Toronto from one of the sessions. And I, it was like people in the train looked up over at me because I said, oh my God, because we'd go there, we'd do these thinking things and we'd work them out. Well, I'm such a dunce. By the time I'm on the train, I figured it out. <laughs> that I actually love doing what I do because I love helping people. Now, that was one shoe that dropped. About five years later, the other shoe dropped. Because it's easy to say, I love to help people. I love to help people. Right? Mm-hmm. But why? I mean, you know, I make, made good money. I make good money. I rebuilt the business two or three times now, right? But now I'm rebuilding a bunker business because this is who I am. And my clients appreciate it. And I appreciate my clients, right? But why do I love helping people? And that's when the other shoe dropped. Again, such a genius that I am. And I, and I realized... Because my mom had always said to me throughout my life, you know, if you give to get back, you never get. But if you give to get because of the heart and to help people, you get back tenfold. And this has been going in my years, you know, all the years from the age of 12 or 14 till 19. She would sneak into my room at night and whisper when I was sleeping, you're a good person, Ricky. You're an amazing person. You can do anything you want to do. You're a kind person. And about four times over that five or six year period, I actually woke up with this face about four inches from my face and I was terrified Ma! and I would haul her out the whole neighborhood I'm sure heard right so I think eventually she, she got her message across to me so now we go back forward into where I uh, where I realized the second shoe is that I love helping people because I'm a product of what that woman did for me who at 68 years old takes a seven-year-old in I'm sorry 58 takes a seven-year-old kid in uh, you know into the house you know and give her a huge heart back. 
a huge heart can only do that. An amazing heart. Absolutely. And um, so I, you know, I, you know, the, who you are, I think it definitely depends on obviously genes, whatever, but I think a lot of it also is a social environment because I'm, I'm a living product. I, you know, I didn't grow up in a family. I did grow up in a family, right? I was in the orphanage system and then had a family. It doesn't take long to figure which way you want to go, right? Yeah. And so that's what led me to the point where I left a major business that, uh, I won't say the name, I, I already probably said a TD, uh, to go to a company called Wellington West. And of course, three years later, later three years later, we got uh, sold again back to National Bank, so I'm back in the banking system. <laughs> but by this time, by the time I moved out within a year, everything blah, came out on uh, my paper. It all been kept in. And, you know, I was not able to put it out, all the stuff and all my frustrations. And that's when I created the net worth navigator process uh, for my clients and, 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 and to really provide real value. And most importantly, and it's been years to whittle it down to simple words to give them peace of mind. That's mm-hmm. so it's a very holistic approach. I, I love that because I'm someone that is was brought up by my parents as you uh, for those I don't know Richard is a, a good friend of my father's and they've worked together both uh, I believe at Wood Gundy you guys first met correct TD 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 that's right my dad's worked for a lot of banks <laughs> um, but he brought me up the same way you're a good person provide value to people and for yeah. me I'm always about providing more value because life will give when you give. That's right. If you get from the heart yeah. and you provide and try to make a difference in someone else's life, how are they going to not or care about you or like you? Not love yeah. you? I love my clients to love me, but you know, what as I mean? long as they appreciate what you're doing for them, that's what's that's important. Right. The money comes secondary. Yeah. You know, type of scenario. I, 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 I fully agree with you. I, I'm seeing a large shift, I think, in, in on, especially on the online, because a lot of kids my age are coming into, you know, they're entrepreneur, they're going, becoming business owners, and they, they don't like that, that hard sell or getting seller's remorse or buyer's remorse from this. So they're, they're trying to give more value to their clients or their That's customers. Online, right? Yeah. That's what I do it online because I can't find it anywhere else, right? Mm-hmm. No yeah. one, it's, it, and it's, it's great. I love how, uh, as you as bringing your holistic approach to help your clients grow their net worth and grow and security for them. That's, it's amazing thing. Um, how did you really start coming up with your, uh, your, your holistic approach for your, uh, your clients? Was it, did you like, it just snap into place one day or did you oh, like, God, it took me years years of setting it up, renaming it, refining it, revamping it, tearing it down. Notice I don't have much hair left anymore. <laughs> um, you know, uh, just refining it because it's a basically a product of who I am, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I tend, as you notice right now, to be tend to be very passionate and wordy. And so I had to keep cutting the versions down to make them smaller and smaller because otherwise clients would walk in and they'd, I'd put the book, boom, in front of them. And go, ah! Like, you know, what the heck am I going to do with this type of thing? You know, I didn't want to scare them off. But yeah, I, I spent a good, I would say from 2006 and I left to 2008. Well, actually 2005. So I'd say three, four years to really get it to a point. And then, you know, when I moved to Wellington, uh, you know, I really started to refine it and uh, did, did a big push there. And now when I came back to working for myself at Raymond James, because I'm independent financial, excuse me, I really shut it down and, 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 and revamped it to 
you know, to, 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 be, to be relative and pertinent to with the individual. I've had clients that come in, and they sit in front of me, and they take their portfolio out of their little briefcase or purse and put it on the table, they slide it across the table at me and go, here's what I got, what can I do? And I look at them, and I put my hands on the paper, and I slide it back across the table and say, hey, I have no clue. Because we have to know where it is you want to go. We have to know who you are. We have to know what makes you sleep or not sleep at night and make sure we never bro- you know, breach that that trust or put something in the portfolio. We have to do a structured plan. So my plan, my approach, the navigator approach, it's really for, I don't want to really bore you with all this, but no, no, basically please. it was been built important. because over 30 years of me opening clients, there was always a certain undercurrent theme of people coming to me, you know, and I had quite a lot of assets when I was at TD, like a lot of assets, right? Mm. Uh, and, um, you, you could just see it. And one of the major themes was that nobody had a plan. And I used to say to people, I want you to look at me as a financial surgeon. Would you ever let me cut you open unless we did a physical and we did uh, x-rays and uh, did blood tests or whatever? I said, or go to the dentist and let him do root canal without you know, doing his due diligence. I mean, but the, very often this is what people do with their investments or they push it over to a professional. And I mean, I'm not going to knock people, but very often they do a very superficial deep dive or shallow dive mm-hmm. into you know what the individual needs and requirements are they don't spend the time with the person to get to know them and then also get the person to ask the pertinent questions to help them to know where it is they want to go and where they don't want to go and so that we call that first stage or the first workshop so that's the assessment phase once we get that then we say well now we're into the next workshop which is the, which is the design phase so like everybody has an individual fingerprint well, everybody has an individual, unique uh, financial plan, but it's not just about financial plan. It's about life plan. And this is what's very interesting, because very often I have people coming out of my office and they go, oh my God, I think I just saw my therapist, you know, because we talk about what, you know, three years from today, looking back, what has to happen with your life for you to feel happy with your progress, not your financial progress, your progress. And I've had business owners that come in and want to spend more time with the wife. They feel guilty because they're not spending time with the children. Fine. So then let's set it up. So it's not, that's why I call it a holistic approach. Yeah, I do insurance a person's license. I do, I'm options license. I do, you know, uh, the investment planning. I have financial planners that work, you know, with me. But that's just the end of the tunnel setting it up. That's mm-hmm. the design, which is stage three. It's the first two stages, understanding what it is you want, where you want to go. And that takes time. And then designing it. And then once you go from assessment to design, then you go to implementation, which is now where you start to set things up. And the other big thing that I got over the years was people that came in had no clue where they making money. No, not only did they not have a plan, they didn't know where the hell they were going and they didn't know if they were ever going to get there. In fact, they didn't know where they had to go to get to what they had to go to get. You see what I mean? And so they didn't, and, and when they got the statements, I don't know if you know this is, but financial statements that are issued in our industry, you know, accountants can be challenged to understand and read them. So poor little person, uh, Mr. Smith, reads a statement, goes, uh, okay. He's embarrassed, doesn't want to ask questions, right? You know, type of scenario. So the tracking has become very integral in uh, not accountability. Look, it's the adage that I use with everybody. In order for you to go somewhere, how many times in, at New Year's did you make a New Year's resolution? Oh, I'm not gonna drink anymore. Oh, I'm not gonna, you know, eat anymore. And that lasts, what, two weeks or three weeks, if that. Why? Because it's like walking towards the horizon. This is classic Dan Sullivan stuff, by the way. I wish I could take credit for it, but you walk towards the horizon, what happens? The horizon moves further away. You can't get there. 
But what you can do is point the direction in the horizon you want to walk to and take measurable baby steps to that target. And those measurable baby steps, I hate to say this, better than sex. <laughs> it is. It's true. It, no, it is true. It is true. For the first time in your life, you feel like you're, you're making progress because you can see it. And you can see because it it's broken down into baby steps. Yeah, and, and, and that's, what's, uh, that's what we show in, in, like, in the tracking sessions where we recap, okay, this is what we did, da 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 and, 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 and they, they love it. Yeah, it's, no, it's fine. No, no. The, the point of this podcast is to promote yourself um, and your, your system. And I love it because even for myself, um, when I first started podcasting, I'm like, I want to make money podcasting. That was my, right? And I had no goal, no, no plan. I just said, that's the end destination. And I had no idea. And it ended yeah. up burning me out. Like a lot of my listeners have heard this. I, I burnt out my first podcast because of COVID. That was just a nightmare. And then when I started this one, I'm like, my plan is to help people learn how to be an entrepreneur by asking the questions to people who are already an entrepreneur. Because right. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I, there's no book on how to be an entrepreneur. No one's, no one's written it down because being an entrepreneur is a unique journey that you take as a, a as a person, just like right. your life. So the fact that you you are helping you're helping entrepreneurs, you're helping business owners, you're helping individuals plan for their success, whether it is in planning for their when they pass away, so that their families with the insurance and that to protect them if ever they get injured, or I've, I've actually helped non clients build their businesses. That's because amazing. the approach is the exact same thing. For example, for you, if I were to say to you, three years from today, looking back, what does your podcast business have to look like for you to be happy? It has to be bringing in uh, 70K a year. That's okay. all I need to be happy. Okay. So if it's bringing 70K in a year, how do you generate revenue in the 70K? What are the steps you need to come back to today? Because you made that target of 70K down the road, right? So now we bring you back today. We say, okay, what are the five biggest dangers stopping you from getting there? What are the five biggest strengths helping you get there? What are the five biggest obstacles? And very often people have trouble thinking of two or three, but I, I sit with them and we hammer them out. And when you have five big dangers, we once we remove one, boom, oh, sorry, we get five big dangers and then we get you to prioritize. I don't do the talking, you're doing the talking. Then you say, well, this is most important. This is number two, number three, and you rank them. So when you get number one done, I say, oh, no, no, you don't get to do that. You have to take only one out of the three that's left over from the five. So now it focuses you like a laser beam. So now you got one thing, baby step, that you get to focus on. So you go work on that one. Once it gets done, we take number two, bump it up to number one, because number one's done. Mm -hmm. Then number four comes up to number three. And that's just on the dangers. Then you have your strength. And the reason we only do it three years ahead is because you can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can imagine it, right? Yeah. That's that's what that's the uniqueness of the of, of the network navigator process. So just in the minutia of that kind of thing, it is very very powerful. And it could be about your family life. It could be about married life. It could be about your business life. It's not restricted to you know a lot of what I do is not even necessary business. You know, or like financial. No, that's that's great. It's true because you if you take the business approach and apply it to different parts of your life, it will help you benefit. And I've, I've noticed this cause I've started thinking more like everything's, if I want to go on a vacation, what is a vacation? Okay. It's $5,000. Yeah. If, if I, it's going to cost me $5,000 to go on this vacation, how many hours or how many clients do I need to get to validate that? So it's, right. 
I can pay for it that way. And just that changing that thinking makes everything easier. It's more of a game, if you will, for me, because I'm like, okay, let's see if I can get to that level. The next level is this, because I grew up with video games. <laughs> here's, here's the funny part. It's not going to the next level because you just said it. If you were planning a vacation, you've done it before. You know the steps. You go to where you want to go. You go check how much it's going to cost. And you go when you want to, when, what time you want to go, and then you have to work it backwards. Where am I going to get the money to pay for it? How am I going to work after hours to get the money? Mm-hmm. How much tax am I going to have to pay so that I have money in my pocket to go pay it, right? Yeah. Well, it's the same thing when you're running a business or you're involved with your family. It's just a matter of being able to get out of your comfort box. Get out. I always say that we all live in our boxes, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I, I like to think that the, the really strategic thinkers, what differentiates them is the ability to think out of the box. Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite quotes is by, uh, I think it's Will Smith. He says, the the most exciting place in your life is on the other side of fear. Yeah. And that's where you're going to grow the most as well, because you see that once you break down those small barriers of fear, you can do it. You see that you can do anything. It empowers you. It gives you the the courage to try anything. Like, I'm pretty sure, you, I, as I was reading, you're, you're a, scooter, a master scuba diver, if I'm not correct. Uh, dive master. Dive master. Yeah. And yeah. I bet you the first time you scuba dive, you were probably a little terrified because, you know, you're in the ocean and it's massive. <laughs> well, actually, I used to be a water, whitewater rafting guy when I was 20, 23, 24. On the machine rafts. And I got sucked under. I was sitting in a suicide seat in a raft. Back then, they didn't have motors on the machine rapids. And I got sucked under for five minutes. <sighs> And I, well, they say I didn't drown because they didn't die. I got used to you. I drowned. They it certainly felt like it to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They, they pumped me out. And then I got back on the boat the very next day in the same seat, went down with the same helmsman, and then I quit. Now, imagine, I don't know how many years later, because it was, I don't know, 19, 20, I used to do triathlons, and I was pretty cut and shaped at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm pulling with my life, and all you heard, or you heard it, the diving boots go, <laughs> sucked off my feet from the undertow from the, from the waves. So, um, so you can imagine when I strapped it, there's only a few things I'd ever completed in my life and one of them was diving. So now you shift forward to 2000. So I was what, 40 or something like that. And I decided I'm going to go back and I'm going to do diving. Well, the guys used to joke about me because whenever I do something, I'm always a thousand percent in. It was good and it was bad. The bad is I had two or three computers. I had a pony bottle. I had the big scuba tank. My rig, you know, the BCD, they used to call it the Christmas tree from all the little bells, super bells or whatever, because I was petrified going under this water after going through that experience. And then in doing my courses, every time I said, well, I drowned. They said, no, you didn't drown because you're still alive. So that's not drowning. And I was not, you know, I wanted to argue with them, you know, excuse my language, bitch slap them. I did drown, right? <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, why am I saying this? I forgot. Oh, we're talking about you being a, becoming a master diver and the, the fear level, passing that fear barrier. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember uh, you do your open water, you do your advanced water. So open water, you go to one uh, to 60 feet, advanced water, you go to 120. And then I did my equipment specialist. I did my underwater photography. I did underwater navigation. I did my equipment. Uh, I did my uh, dry suit buoyancy, wetsuit buoyancy. Uh, then I did my rescue diver, which made me a professional diver. Then I became a master diver. And then, then finally I became a dive master so that when I go diving, I don't even take those cards because if I'm out on the boat and somebody dies, I can get sued because I'm a professional diver. Now, inside this voyage, I think I was 
I think I'd done like a hundred dives. I've done about a thousand dives. Right? Again, this is over a 10 year period. I went nuts. Right? Of course. You, you, you uh, had, it was like your martial arts. You, this was your new hobby that you're throwing yourself a hundred percent into. That's it. And so I think, I forget, 2007 or eight, I think I worked only 165 days that year. The rest of the time I was diving all over the world, right? Galapagos Islands twice. And, and I remember I was down at about 120 feet and I looked at my regulator and said I had about six minutes of air left. Uh, right? And then they wanted me to go through this, this, this tunnel, this like cave. If I can't see God and God can't see me, I don't think we should be doing it, right? <laughs> All right, so I went through it, but I went from about 100, 100 feet or so up to about 40 feet. All of a sudden, I had 22 minutes. I've taken 100 dives up to this point. Such a genius that I am. And it only hit me then. Oh, all I got to do is come up, and then I have more air. And that's because of the baggage of the Christmas tree and all that, you know, the stuff that gone through that. So, uh, yeah, I, I love diving. Not as much as my, my wind chunk, but I love diving because it's a completely different world. Oh, yeah, no, I've, I'm... You I'm, dove? I have yet to dove. Uh, the only time I've... I, I scuba, I didn't scuba, I uh, snorkeled in, uh, in uh, Disney World or Disneyland down in Florida. They have this little shark thing with nurse sharks and, you know, non, oh, yeah, yeah. non-violent sharks, you know, like the, you don't bother them, they don't bother you. So I was terrified because stupid me watched Jaws the week before we went to Disney and I was like, oh, cool, we're going to go snorkel. Oh, there's sharks. Not so, good. <laughs> no, it wasn't the smartest move, but. I, I've always been interested in going and seeing the ocean because it's, for me, it's exactly like space. For me, I want to go into space. That's my biggest frontier that where I want to go. But diving is just like it because it's a different world. It's a different environment. We're in a, you're in an uh, alien world because we're not the top of the food chain there. That, that thing will kill you in a heartbeat. No, no, one tablespoon can kill you, right? Yeah. What we call as divers, we call that inner space. So you have outer space, the oceans are the inner space, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing when you go down there, it's the silence. All you hear are the bubbles. Uh, I, I, I love watching documentaries about the uh, seeing the ocean. And one of my favorite animals is the great white. It's, it's just so majestic and beautiful. But not I the same. Not to a diver, no. <laughs> I like to watch. Th- That's why it's my favorite animal. I'm not a diver. When I become a diver, then I'll be like, yeah, no, no, f- screw the great white. Uh, but no, it is for me. It's like a majestic animal. It's it so it's, it's the ultimate hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it's also terrifying because my brother wants to go into a, a metal cage with them. You know what the most terrifying thing for um, a diver is, or a new diver? It's the confinement of being underwater with a limited supply of air, the closeness, uh, you know, being able to have to breathe through a regulator. That's usually what which will end a diving career. People get under the water and they just can't cope with, you know, being under the water and not being able to get up and breathe. They got to breathe through this apparatus through the mouth. Or the other thing is to clear their mask. Because part of the, to you know, get from open water to advanced or deep water, you have to be able to clear your mask underwater type of scenario and uh, when you when you take it off right the water sometimes if you don't hold the water in your nose it can go oh, up yeah. and you choke and yeah. you know but uh yeah yeah it was fun i enjoyed it uh <clears throat> i enjoyed it i don't do it i haven't done it in a couple of years now i mean i had a pulmonary embolism back in 2015 i um, could uh, you know put a little <laughs> damper yeah, on yeah diet. yeah I found out that I had severe sleep apnea. I stopped breathing an average of 85 times an hour. It's been going on for 25 years. Uh, I had become a vegan then, not now, but I, I watch my food now. 
I had stopped smoking uh, and I uh, had evidently walking pneumonia. So my body said, what the hell are you doing to me? <laughs> so by the, and, and I had started my Wen Chung. And so I remember getting out of the hospital after a week in emergency. And they said, okay, you have to go home and lie down in bed for, for six, seven weeks. I looked at him and said, you nuts? I said, that's what got me into this because this walking pneumonia I was in bed for almost two months throughout the year. And so I was back in class the following, the following Tuesday. So, so yeah, so I mean, you don't have your health, man. Uh, and I see it in my business all the time. It's like, you really, really appreciate it. You're a young pup, so you don't need to worry about that. Uh, no, uh, it's it's better to check out my health. I've, I've actually uh, put my health in uh, priority because uh, um, I blew into about 300 pounds. Uh, oh. over, yeah, I was 300 Good pounds. For you. And I dropped down. Uh, last time I checked, I, was, I dropped 60 pounds over uh, 2020. That's fantastic because I was, according to my insurance people, I don't agree with it, 300 pounds last spring. And so I'm down 45 pounds. I'm and then, okay, I weighed. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, no yeah. I'm down to, I'm down to uh, 258. My goal is to get to 245. I haven't been there in 20 years. And then after that, I want to get down to about 220. Yeah. But I have about 100 and I had about 204 pounds of muscle in my body. I'm down to about 186 pounds of muscle, you know, from all my martial I took seven other styles of martial arts over my career. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, so I mean, you're telling uh, me I should not get into a fight with you. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> only when you need to. Yeah. So what you do is you want me or my crew standing to, around you when yeah. you need to pull up the tire. Then what's a different story. Yeah. No, you, you don't. You don't do martial arts to, to fight. I don't. I don't. The good guy. The good ones don't. The guys no. that last in this, they don't. Yeah, no, it's it's more of it, it, I I find because I've been reading a bit on uh, Bruce Lee's uh, martial arts. Oh, um, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Well, he studied under Ip Man. Yeah. Ip. Okay, thanks. Leave it on. Sorry. Uh, Ip Man. Uh, Moyet studied under Ip Man. Oh. Uh, Sunny Tan studied under uh, uh, Moyet. Uh, Walter Dukuznik in Ottawa studied under Sunny Tan, and then my seat was studied under Walter. So we come from from Mitmine, which was who taught uh, Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. Yeah, no. I know. And I just he his thing is like it's more of a mental thing. You're you're building your mental strength. Yes, you're building your body into a, a tool or a weapon, but it's your mind that you're refocusing and re you're training more when you're doing martial arts. And I, I find that when you look at some of the more successful entrepreneurs, the ones who have lasted for years and created many businesses, they do that. They, they've, they're learning to focus their mind through dis different disciplines and not just the one discipline. Like you've done your dive master, you're, you're a master or you're becoming a master. I'm a sailor. You're a sailor. Sailed, right? But yeah, but my number one passion, my number one passion I would have to say is, is to help people. And I just want to throw that in there because my Kung Fu is my life. Mm -hmm. And it will be till the day I die. And I'm going to 124 and a half. That's my story. And I'm sticking with it. Hey, man, you can um, do it. Well, that's it, right? Um, so that's, that's what I do to, for my physical and mental well-being, right? My business side and my entrepreneurial side, I think, really think that it was this internal under desire, not understanding where it came from, because I told you before, it came from realizing what my mom had done for me. And everything I am today my, my real father was a con man. I actually, I think, made a movie about him in the 60s called The Flim Flam Man. And my mother was an alcoholic. 
Uh, and um, I'm an aberration. I shouldn't be where I am today. I should have been dead on booze or a crook or whatever, you know, type of thing. But because that person stepped into my life and gave to me, you know, it's been just growing like roots inside of me. And that root growing inside of me is what then pushed me in my business to where, no, I can't do that. I can't accept that. I've got it. I've got to, I've got to do my own, my own path. It's, I, I made tons of money at TD, like, you know, six, seven figures. And I, yeah. and it was nearly killing me. Yeah. You don't yeah. see it because you're in the box. You don't see it. Right. That's the difference. And if you, you know, I always tell my clients this money's just a tool. If I said to you, well, I'll give you the answer now. What's money, right? Money's just a tool. What really gives you happiness in life is your belief system and your moral code. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're interested in getting in contact with Richard, you can find him on LinkedIn at rwalsh1. That's R-W-A-L-S-H, the number one. Now, Richard is an amazing guy. And if you're interested in learning more about him, please do reach out and contact him. I had a great time talking with him and uh, I'll let another disclaimer, I guess. Uh, he is a family friend. My father uh, put us in contact because I have been a member of a stock market for beginners group and I, we've been getting a lot of questions regarding investments and uh, proper techniques. So I, I interviewed Richard specifically for this episode. Um, you should really check out the net worth navigator process, which is his holistic investment process. And it's comprised of four components, which we talked about in the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you so much for being a subscriber and I'm looking forward to even more great episodes. And the next episode is with Nick, the music industry disruptor. Unfortunately, I cannot pronounce his last name. It is a very difficult last name, but that is coming out tomorrow. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to three episodes a week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you get to listen to amazing entrepreneurs in the digital space. So again, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for Richard for spending time with me and providing me with so much valuable knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. And remember to always invest in yourself for success.